You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to this week's episode of the Coaching Inn as we hunker down just before Christmas. Uh, and today it's my pleasure to have guests Charlie Cox and Sarah Flynn who've recently published a great book called Climate Change Coaching, The Power of Connection to Create Climate Action. Don't we love that connection word? Mm -hmm. So Charlie and Sarah, welcome to the Coaching Inn. Just tell us a bit about your coaching journeys and then we'll dig in to find out where the book came from. Charlie, do you want to do you want to go first? I can do. Um, So I suppose I have to go back a little bit in time to about 2010 when I was running a business in West Africa which is a creative agency in Freetown in Sierra Leone and I started to question how I could develop my staff both my national and my expatriate staff I had staff from lots of different countries and I noticed a lack of confidence in decision making that led to people not moving forward on things when they needed to Mm. And I started to ask myself, what could I do? And I had no idea what coaching was. I've never heard of it. Um, But I got a coach at that point because she happened to be in the country. So it was a serendipitous moment. Wow. And um, I started to really see that this was having an impact on me and wondering if it could have an impact on my team. And at the same time, I was also spending every lunchtime with a different entrepreneur that I knew chewing over how their businesses ran and realizing that a lot of their problems felt quite similar they felt quite emotional problems um blockers to action more than they were technical problems Mm. and then I decided at some point that I I had to leave I'd been in the country for almost seven years and I thought oh I'm gonna have to say uh you know if I don't leave soon I'll be here for 20 Mm. and actually (laughs) I've probably done what I want to do here I'd worked with the UN I'd worked with the big NGOs I'd worked in corporate sector there I sort of done everything in the time Mm. I've been so I, I decided to get my team to think about what their dream jobs were. And I was quite tough on them that I said, you can't just pick an easy job that's safe. You have to pick a dream job. This is probably the only time you're going to get asked this question. And I was a bit impatient that they didn't automatically know the answer to that question. And now I do lots of career transition coaching. I'm, I'm like, of course, people don't know the answer to that question. But we teased it out for, for everybody and then we put budget behind every person. Everyone got the same budget and I told them to just come back to me when they knew how they wanted to spend it to get towards the dream. And certainly my national staff came up with things that were really challenging, were really big stretches. Mm. And I'll be honest, there was a part of me that thought there is no way you can do this. And a good example of that would be um, Yusuf, who was our, our night guard, um, and he his education had been interrupted by the war. He didn't speak, he didn't uh, read and write very well, and he was almost innumerate. And he said he wanted to work in IT. And I thought, wow, you know, how are you going to do this, Yusuf? But because I was closing the business and because it was a dream, I didn't intervene. I thought it's not your place to say that he can't do this. So what you're going to do is back him and put money into training. We bought him a laptop and we we sent him for training. And he came second in the class amongst a whole load of clerical people who'd been using computers for years. And all of them proved me wrong. 
And I came out of that experience thinking, wow, this is there's something really powerful in this believing in people mm. and not having an opinion about whether they can or can't, but simply believing in them and championing them. And of course, budget played a bit of a role in that too. And so I didn't know then what I was going to do when I came home, but that experience helped me realize that I needed to be a coach. And I remember saying to my coach quite sheepishly, you know, you were here to help me with career transition. Is it all right if I just pinch your job? (laughs) Um, And I came home and I trained and that was nearly 10 years ago and, and I love it. And it was the best um teaching I could ever have had before I got in into coach proper coach training that actually is not our job to say whether someone can have their dream or not it's just our job to believe them what an amazing story Charlie thank you so much for sharing that because that's a kind of well multiple lessons there right (laughs) yeah it was quite a formative experience I would say yeah wow Wow. And what's Yusuf doing now? Do you know? I don't know, actually. I've lost touch with Yusuf, but I'm still in touch with quite a few of my team through Facebook and and through WhatsApp. And they send me messages now and again. And one of the best ones I got was a picture of um, uh, Musa, who was almost like a kind of elder in the business. He was notionally our caretaker, but he did so much more. He helped sense check every decision I made. And... um, Musa sent me a picture of him holding a driving license and his dream was to be a driver, which sounded very simple, but most people just bought a driving license in Freetonia. They sort of just paid the right guy and they got one and he wanted to actually learn and actually legitimately get one. And it took forever to, to go through the actual real bureaucracy to get one. But when he got one, the, the smile on his face was just incredible. Wow. And his family had said, if you get the license, we'll help you get a car but he had to prove to them he could get the license. So the bit that was pivotal almost was that set of driving lessons and then paying for the license application. It's interesting, isn't it? As you speak, I know we're going to talk about climate change in a minute, everybody. (laughs) But as you, (laughs) just to reassure you, but the interesting thing about that is that, is that really supporting somebody to invest in a small thing was the thing in both of those stories that unlocked everything else. Mm. That's that's amazing, isn't it? Thank you. Well, top that, Sarah. Yes, well, actually, and I didn't know all of that. I knew a little bit, Charlie. Uh, I've heard you talk a little bit, but I, I didn't know the depth of that story and I found it really touching. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I don't think I can top that at all. All I can do is um, my background's slightly different. Um, so I did a psychology degree and didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, I thought I did. I think, thought I wanted to be a clinical psychologist, but that was really hard to do. Um, and I went off and travelled and did various things and got various assistant psychologist posts. And um, And I was working with a great team. And looking, you know, doing an amazing multidisciplinary role in a children's hospital. And they were a fantastic team. Each individual was the best they could be, pretty much. But the patients weren't getting the best they could get because they didn't have a mechanism for pooling their diverse experiences, knowledge, um, perspectives. They they sometimes felt threatened by each other or there was territory. 
And I just, instead of going, I want to work with the families, I was like, ah, I want to work with the people who are supporting the families, the the, the people um, who are the, the customers, if you like. And so I, um, and by then I'd got a master's in research, psychological research methods. So I went and worked in consultancy within organizations, researching, doing sort of grounded theory research into resilience within the organization. And I learned very quickly that it's not just about an individual or about the system, but it's about that interplay between the individual and the system. And how can we thrive as human beings in what we do? Um, How can systems help human beings to thrive in their work and vice versa? And um, I kind of was very aware that often we were treating people's well-being and their performance as polar opposites either you were performing and you were getting ill and suffering um, and putting on hold the fact that you were a real human being or you were being a human being um, acknowledging your needs and somehow that was considered just not not really pulling it not doing the right hours not not as committed or something and um, that for me was a really I, I realized the more I research the more I found out about psychology the more I was just sort of listening that actually when we really thrive as human beings and when we really create wonderful results it's when we align our well-being and our performance when we don't treat them as opposites um, but actually we are in right relationship with ourselves and then things flow and I had I, I get a lot of migraines and so I know that's been a really useful sort of signal for me when I'm not aligning my well-being and my performance but I'm they're distinct and I'm pushing myself and that was always a really helpful kind of barometer or canary in the coal mine for me mm. but I saw that lots of people don't have that and they do push through and they only kind of go something's wrong here when they are literally burnt out or their families have suffered or they have to walk away. And, um, and so I decided I wanted to train as a coach and essentially I thought of it as I work with human sustainability. It's about how do we keep ourselves well and do what we love and really make a difference in the world rather than just, um, kind of treating ourselves like strawberries in a polytunnel where we've got to produce at all times of the year and we don't taste very sweet and we're just squeezing our sort of work out. Um, and so I've been merrily working with resilience and during times of transition and change and really looking at how do we as human beings effectively change and keep ourselves well on that journey. And then um, I met Charlie and Charlie was like, um, "We uh, is, are any coaches really passionate about the planet and and for me it was really about being in right relationship with ourselves being in right relationship with each other um so we weren't saying you've got to do that but actually what do you love what do you want to do and and in right relationship with our systems our human systems and right relationship with the planet and for me that just really slotted together all of the things in my life that were perhaps I was keep. So I was working with human sustainability, but I was doing sustainability at home in my private life. If you like, we were the ones um, never using baby wet wipes. We were the ones um, sort of composting and, and using reusable nappies and, you know, all the things that made us a bit strange in our um, parent group. And um, 
I like to think nicely strange, um, but um, it just slotted them all together and the threads just really knitted together. And that that was that really. So we started writing the book about how we effectively change as humans um, and how we can do that in the face of this enormous problem that human beings are facing, that human beings have created. That's a human change problem. So that's a kind of a <laughs> the way through. That's interesting, isn't it? Because some people do the work, you know, are really involved in the work, and then they write the book about the work. And it sounds as though the book was part of the exploring the work process for you. Um, that was about putting it down on the page. I think yeah. John and I and, and the team had done a lot of thinking about what do we see going on, what's needed, what are the blockers to human change in the face of this. And then it was about trying to put it on the page in a way that yeah. uh, made sense. So what's your dream? Sorry, Charlie. Well, I think for me, actually, the strap line came quite late and we kicked <laughs> around lots of strap lines, kicked around lots of titles. And as you see, it's not the most imaginatively titled book, Climate Change Coaching, but it sort of does what it says on the tin. But I think for me, I, that power of connection yeah. was something that I hadn't entirely clocked in what we were doing. And it just kept coming out again and again and again in the writing. Yeah. And so then we started to say, actually, no, this really is the heart of this whole approach is about connecting. And I think we kind of knew it, but what well, maybe you knew it, Sarah, but I hadn't quite put it into words until I started writing and so there was something formative about the writing period mm. it was a couple of years it took to mm. write um, a lot we, we did learn quite a lot in that time we were also doing rebranding at the climate change coaches and totally infuriating the creative agency that had to do it with us because we kept saying actually it's not about that anymore it's about this thing because we get you know as we sort of wrote a bit more and deepened our understanding um but um but I do think it was there, there was a, certainly a journey of of learning mm. about that connection piece. Yeah. yeah, the relationship piece really was central to everything. But um, just keeping coming, it was like that crystallization each time. It's about is it relationships. It's about connection. It's about relationships, and and just coming back to that all of the time. Which is why writing a book proposal is a pain in the neck because the book that you write <laughs> is never the book you proposed, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and, and when you write, you know, when we wrote the proposal, what's useful about the book proposal is they make you do a structure. So you have a, a sort of rough idea of the structure. And it only changed a little bit, I think. But but as we've just said, that we were writing a sort of nuts and bolts, here's how you do it book about the sort of theory of how to do this kind of coaching. And that translated into the structure quite easily. But the sort of more philosophical sort of pieces to it weren't in the book proposal at all that piece about relationship and connection we we you know we really bottomed that out um I remember it just felt like in every chapter I found myself kind of coming back to the same place of that which is why you changed the subtitle to the power of connection mm. to create climate action it's beautiful it's very human mm -hmm. it's a, isn't it? it's a very embodied human mm. phrase and it's a that that was the starting point. This is a human problem. Mm. This is a human change problem at the individual, the relationship and the systems level. Yeah. And our relationship with our planet. Um, yeah. 
and, and I, I don't know about you, Charlie, but I found the book um, process because so much of what we're talking about is really transformational. What we need is transformation, not just ta- ta- transactional change. Mm. And that's quite a hard thing to put down in black and white because that's a transactional act. You know, putting it down in black and white sort of pulls it back down in, and and sort of capturing sort of maintaining the the how do we transform as human beings how do we create that in ourselves and others and what are the nuts and bolts what are the steps was was an interesting sort of play all of the time and if you go back to what you said at the beginning charlie about yusuf and musa that was transformational change mm-hmm. that was engendered by a transactional here is some money what's your dream job transformational question here is some money transactional act mm-hmm. that's led to transformation yes and i think the intention was transformation and yeah. that's the important piece because if you take this up to the organizational level with let's say climate targets if the organization says we're just going to get to net zero so we just look at our operations, we put some solar panels on, we get an electric fleet. We, you know, it's, it, I spoke to someone who said four people in a room, it, you know, there's most senior four people in the organization could probably reduce our footprint to, to 90% of what it is because they hold the levers to huge amounts of the change. But that isn't going to deliver the change we really want. So we have to involve all of the workforce. Mm. And that, so that's an early intention about transformation in mindsets with the organization about waste and use rather than just saying, how do we tick this box so we can tell people we got to zero? Yeah. Because, you know, as he said, we can get to zero really quite quickly, actually. It's, you know, with just a relatively small number of people, mm. but that won't deliver the mindset shift. Mm. And that's what it's all about in coaching too, isn't it? Mindset shifts. So tell us about the climate change coaches, because I'm sure that there are listeners going oh can I do that (laughs) they very much can so we we still run uh, a training course every year for professional coaches it's an open course so the cohort is made up of coaches from all over the world it's online and and partly that's because one of the big issues in this space is that people feel like they're the only one that cares or often they take it all on themselves it's all on me and even though we know logically it's not all on us it's very easy to feel that way So having people on a call for 16 weeks with you who are geographically all over the world starts to scaffold that belief in the collective desire to change. So we have that coach program and it's an ICF accredited coach training program and it runs uh, every year. And essentially in doing that, if you like, we're training our competition, right? Because, you know, we're training people to do this too. Um, but I've never really bought that idea of competition. I think that is just all of us building out this skill set and delivering more work. And let's be honest, this problem of the climate crisis is getting bigger and the need to do stuff is getting bigger. So I don't think we're ever going to be out of work. Um, so what we do at the Climate Change Coaches is we basically we want to put coaching in the hands of climate leaders. And that means either coaching them or group coaching them or offering training in coaching skills angled towards specific issues that they will, uh, they, they, uh, they come up against in their work. 
So we're often working with sustainability people and environmental professionals, but we're also working with with, you know, sort of common or garden leaders in organizations who've been told you need to get to grips with this. So our group coaching program is pretty good at that, because what we tend to find with that is we get given a team who want to do something, but it's priority number four. And it's the organization set a big climate agenda. We don't go in if they haven't. And this team really needs to land it and work out what it means for them. They know how to do the other three priorities. So they're getting on with those. And number four keeps kind of getting shoved because it feels really overwhelming. And there are lots of feelings that come with this topic, like I'm not clever enough for this, or this is probably a scientist's job. And so group coaching literally creates a space for those people to, first of all, fess up and say like, I really need to do something about this, but I've just been putting it off. And then they realize they've all been feeling that way. And then all that dissonance gets kind of cleared out and then they can start to return to, it's pretty cool that the organization is doing this actually. And what what could we do? And we're always surprised that one of the things that often comes out of that conversation is people saying that the thing they're most anxious about in the change is relationships and particularly relationships with suppliers. You know, we've been working with John's company for 30 years and we feel like in making this change, we're telling him his stuff's not good enough anymore. And, and that, you know, we have this idea that organizations are quite cutthroat, quite mean. And actually, we've we've never seen that. We've seen people with tremendous heart, tremendous care, who are stalling because they're worried about having a conversation that feels combative. And we can show them that it actually can be even more connecting when you do it in a, in a particular way, which mm. is to, to be open about why you care and what you're doing rather than to be kind of blaming and shaming or finger pointing so um that well, one of the things we did is group coaching and the other thing is is training which is really kind of applied climate change coaching so every time we've been in an organization they've said we've got a real problem with this we've sort of banked it somewhere and um that led to to a creation of a nine module course which funnily enough mirrors the book that we wrote so section b of the book has a whole series of chapters and each one of those is essentially all the stuff we never get to say in a training um, plus some of the stuff we do to really kind of create a long form of the training courses that we run so it's it's very we're very practical we, we kind of come at this from a very pragmatic perspective if you look at our website at climatechangecoaches.com it's very bright it's very bold there's lots of pictures of people there's very few pictures of, of the nature the, or the environment on purpose because when people make a website about climate change it's very green there's lots of trees and people as a former photographer people don't associate with those images we're too disconnected from nature so the website and our entire brand is about people taking action and looking like they're having a great time doing it so we build this dream to run towards not a nightmare to run away from mm. So everything that you've ever done, both of you, has come together in this in this work that you're doing together. What a beautiful combination you bring! <laughs> yeah, it's been it was absolutely fantastic writing the book with Sarah. Her research background, apart from her just enormous amounts of knowledge, her research background was absolutely amazing. 
Um, and we were swapping comment content between each other for the mutual editing. And I remember getting to the resilience section that section D that Sarah did a huge amount of the writing on and realizing that I was burning out as I was reading her burnout chapter <laughs> because we were right up against deadline for the book. <laughs> thinking, I really should have had a conversation with Sarah where she gave me some advice about this stuff maybe about a year ago. <laughs> Sarah, what were you going to say? Um, I wasn't actually going to add anything specific. Just um, I'm just letting it all sink in, really, about what you, I what you said about it's actually a culmination of what we've both done feels very true, and it feels the same for the team. Um, so the team bring just such beautifully rich um, perspectives, passions talents um and I have to say whenever we speak to people well I think anyone doing work in this space has that and probably doesn't believe that their unique talents are valuable and their piece of this massive jigsaw puzzle that needs to come together um but certainly when people I think go through the training or, or start to get to grips with what they want to do and what matters to them and what really do they feel just so upset about in terms of climate change or, and really listening and getting in touch with those internal parts people really start to come alive and and bring some magic to this problem and we're so often thinking oh we've got to do it as a we've got there's a thing we've got to do and somebody's got the right answer and I, i've just got to do you know i I'll, if i'll get there eventually no, we all need to show up as human beings with our unique quirks, talents, things that drive us nuts, um, you know, bits that we can't do that somebody else can do, you know, and, and really pull together as human beings in this rather than um, there's some answer out there. You know, the, the, we, we talk about the um, Cunefin model of change and talk about the fact that so often we're coming at this thinking there's got to be an expert to fix this problem. But the experts in this space are saying, I can't have all the answers because it's emerging. We're creating it as we go along. We need a coaching relationship with the clients in the organization. I'm thinking of consult sustainability consultants who build a relationship. And because of that, create change rather than coming in and going wham bam this is what you do I'm I'm the consultant I'm the expert steps A to C you're there actually it's about um just the really the human element and and that's the most powerful but also the most intangible and difficult so that's I think why this felt really important to do mm. actually just building on that you just make me remember we were just doing some work with a big insurer and one of the things they identified was that one of the teams they were trying to influence was very risk averse and wanted the answers. They wanted certainty. And in the way we worked with them, we sort of did a hybrid of a little bit of training and group coaching. And we trained them in how to listen for values. And they had this break breakthrough moment of, oh, they have some value sitting under uncertainty. What it, We need to find out what that is. Is it is it safety? Is it security? Is it competence? You know, so off they went to find that out because once they could start to speak to that, they didn't actually need to have the answers. They just needed it to help 
that team feel that they had that sense of safety in the uncertainty or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the power of this approach that all of us as coaches have the, the ability to do is to get people below the topic and the story into the sort of what really matters, because that's where you've got the most leverage. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas at the topic, things can get quite stuck. Mm-hmm. And your example there, Sarah, just completely reminded me of, of them saying that. And realizing that values could be a really helpful route out of that problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Charlie has a lovely little diagram that um, she shares where we often go from the issue. Um, help me remember the exact bits, but we go, we try and step over the emotions to go to the issue and the solution. And actually, what we need to do is just acknowledge the emotions. Oh, it sounds like you feel stuck. Oh, it's it's overwhelming, isn't it? Um, you know, it sounds like it's new and you've never done it before, but connecting with the human and the emotion and what they're really saying. So often it's just disempowerment or it's, uh, you know, well, stuckness, whatever word you want to use. And actually not trying to step over that and go, yeah, 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 but we've got to. Um, but actually just staying with them in that and normalizing it, hearing it, naming it in, in itself is just so powerful um and and is connecting as well so instead of us polarizing into little groups that believe more or less or do more or less actually it connects across people who are doing something people who aren't doing something people who you know wherever you are in the change curve that that connecting to the human being just pulls the different groups together and creates those bridges to to across difference um that's really connecting and that means we can create much more effective change in our human system if you like and and of course that takes both sides of the relationship so i think often people come into our training thinking great they're going to give me some tools that i can do stuff to other people with and 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 actually you know to build on what you said sarah there's a there's a tendency that we see isn't there for people to be quite technical and so they go to facts if I just throw some more facts at this person they'll 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 change and there's a brilliant case study in the book from from Sarah Taylor who's the climate lead at Natural England saying you know exactly that she's sort of tongue-in-cheek says you know I think oh they must need more facts to help them decide I'll just throw some more facts over but of course partly that's coming from from our own anxiety and if we can manage our own part of the relationship we're much more available to help the other person but but what's happening is that like two sets of anxiety are pinging off each other, um, and and so the the real starting point, which probably nobody wants to hear, is it starts with us, and and how we turn up to these conversations. Uh, but you know that that in itself is often a bit of a light bulb for people. In every session, we talk about the coaching skill of self management, and yeah, okay, to begin with, and then after a while, oh boy, yeah, okay, I get it now. Yeah, it really is about me, isn't it? You know, and that's and it's great because we can control us and how we show yeah. up. Yeah, and being a campaigner is a great thing, but being a campaigner in a coaching session has an impact. Yes, on the relationship. Yeah, and I think for us, the 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 really big piece with that is that often we in this space because of the urgency because of the overwhelm um because of the enormity of it we will often sort of try and step over our emotions and go we've got to act we've got to act which we absolutely do have to act but 
often the emotions aren't the problem. They're the key to really powerful transformational action, because that thing that drives us absolutely nuts, that's our righteous anger about something that probably if we can um, explore lovingly, we'll find our purpose, we'll find our resonance, we'll find our energy. That thing we're feeling extreme grief about or real fear about, instead of pushing that away, because then we don't move on. As coaches, we know that actually those emotions, um, just giving some space for that brings us back to resonance, brings us back to agency. But we think they're the problem and we've got to step over those emotions, but actually they're the fuel that give us the the power, the resonance, the peace um, and the agency from, from what's really happening, not from what we wish was happening. So it's it's kind of hard, but it's really beautiful as well when somebody is just just heard in those feelings. They they come back to resonance and agency quite quickly. Well, not necessarily quickly, but they they come back in a really much more true sort of way. It's really yeah. lovely to see. And something also about that, which is that this is a very logic dominated space. Mm. And so a lot of people feel excluded because they don't have the the sort of logic chaps, if you like. They're not clever enough. You know, even people who, who are in this this climate world say, oh, I'm not. I'm not clever enough or I don't know enough about some niche or something. And so it's really important to get people into their heart space because everyone's got a stake there. Everyone can connect there. And, and yet, you know, we went to COP a couple of weeks ago in Egypt and we were one of the few sessions that talked about that. And lots of people came up to us afterwards and said, well, we really need this. Or you could, could you coach the people going into negotiations, you know, um, because it, it is so much uh, logic and fact trading going on. And that's where, as Sarah said brilliantly, that's where you get polarization. But it's also yeah. it's not it's missing the point. And I think there's something uh, there's something else which is about climate justice in here. I'm gonna. I'm skating on slightly thin ice here, but I'll, I'll let me frame it this way. My experience of West Africa. I can't speak to the South, though. I've just been doing some work with some people in Malawi who said exactly the same thing about Malawi, but I I can't speak to the the centre of the South. But my experience of West Africa is of people being very relationally focused. It's relationships first, and and sort of action second, and that you don't do anything until you built a relationship with somebody and if you think about the global north or maybe I'm just thinking about northern Europe we're quite action focused Mm -hmm. task focused and so there's a little bit of a clash going on I think when you have um, a dominance for action data um, logic that's dominating the whole planet and the decisions being made for the whole planet. I've been thinking about purpose as you've been talking, because a lot of organisations are working in service of profit. And you're talking about working in service of the planet and in working in service of the future. And it's funny because I haven't thought about this book for years. And I was talking about it in last week's podcast to John Blakey. So William Damon 
who I think was professor of human development at Stanford, wrote a book called The Path to Purpose. And he says, we find our purpose when we connect to something outside of ourselves. And what you're doing is you're working, you're using a coaching style with people who are finding their purpose, aren't you? Who are finding a purpose of something outside of themselves, which is is the planet, the future. Um, And what a rewarding thing that is. Because when you work in organizations that are working in service of profit, there, there's, well, if that's not your thing, then that's not your thing. But actually, there's also something about there isn't a common goal because it's my profit. Mm-hmm. I'm working in service of my profit, my shareholders' profit. Whereas you're describing this hour, aren't you? Our, our planet, our future. And And so often when people do connect to their hearts and not just their heads and they connect to themselves as human beings um that that naturally comes out um it's so interesting i i do two kinds of coaching i do parental transition coaching and and this coaching and i will often coach people who in in a corporation about their parental transition and what i observe is that when you that when they connect to their heart when you ask them really deepening questions like what do you care about what do you what do you take a stand what are you taking a stand for with this what what really matters to you all of those deepening questions you notice their energy and you feed it back to them so often it starts about parental transition and you know the next um promotion or how do i sort of still you know make sure i'm doing the hours that are needed and all of this sort of thing and so often by the end, even though we've never mentioned climate change coaching, they're saying, I want this is what I stand for. This is what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. This is what I um, this is what matters to me in this organization. Um, this is they just find their voice and they have found my power now. And and this is who I am and what I'm doing. And it's wow. so beautiful. And you know the changes that have happened as a result um so i truly believe that by connecting in with ourselves we also connect in with the wider world and vice versa i think there's a very natural flow between the two thank you what a great conversation (laughs) thank you so much charlie and sarah for coming to the coaching in and the book's called Climate Change Coaching, The Power of Connection to Create Climate Action by Charlie Cox and Sarah Flynn. So how do people contact you if they want to talk more? Well, they can find us at climatechangecoaches.com and they can find us um, at, at Charlie Cox at theclimatechangecoaches.com or Sarah Flynn at theclimatechangecoaches.com. Um, and uh, they can also probably get in touch with us through Open University Press. Uh, we also have a, a LinkedIn page. We're not big social media people, but we do like LinkedIn because it's quite civilised. It doesn't seem to be any mudslinging tremendously happening there. So if you want to find us to see what we're up to um, and get updates and, and events that we're doing, that's probably a good place to go as well. Is there anything I've missed, Sarah, anything you want to throw in? Nope. Um, nope. That's that's great. Um, I'm just... I just you you I know you can't edit it out, but you might have heard gentle piffling snores in the background. It's the dog next to me. I just um, needed to say that because you'd have thought, what's going on over there? 
No, well, thank you, Charlie. And thank you, Sarah, for joining me at The Coaching Inn. Bye-bye, everyone. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.